Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. This is kind of a pivot, but as far as I have a couple of questions for you. One is you know, setting your goals, what, what did that look like for you early on when you were kind of starting off? Cause you're a co-founder. So was it, was it you and another person who was like, all right, let's do this and started growing your team. And you were in the trenches doing the consulting, you know, doing all this stuff. And then slowly you, you grew to a point to where you started hiring people and then contracting people. Um, you know, how did you set your, your goals and things like that early on? Yeah. Well, the first goal that I ever set go nimbly was that if in one year I'm still doing the work that I'm just a glorified consultant and I don't have a business. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, that was the very first goal that I set for myself as a vision for myself, which is if I'm still involved in the work, then this is not a business because I know I can sell my skills. Right. Um, but what I need to do is sell a product. Hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the very first goal that I set. Um, and then it just went from that, you know, I don't think we've, we've set goals like on a monetary basis, but we're really bad at it. Sometimes we only do it once or twice a year mm-hmm. more. So we do it on what I think are the most important, you know, metrics in an organization. Like we use a method called three VC that, that I invented, which is, you know, your conversion, your volume, your velocity, and your value of deals through your sales pipeline. And we target one of those numbers and we usually make set goals from that. Like we want to improve conversion by 15%. How are we going to do that? Uh, we want to improve the volume of opportunities coming through our pipeline. How are we going to do that? Um, and so we typically try to find those numeric values to try to improve. And then we brainstorm a ton of tactics and figure out what has the most synergies between everyone and keeps the teams aligned. We are not perfect at this. In fact, we've always kind of done that methodology, but it's never gotten to any kind of friction point until where we are now. Mm. Because now we're big enough that people have very different ideas about what we should target and what we should work on. And the truth, and, you know, I try to keep a very unified front with my team, but the truth is everyone's right. You know, like changing this stat is, is, could be beneficial to the organization or changing this other one. And so that's why at Go Nimbly, we've started going, well, let our customers tell us what the gaps are that, that are, you know, full. So we tend to look at data against itself over the last six months and go, oh, our stage two, which is proposals, let's pretend, um, is down by 15% from a conversion perspective. Let's go back and interview some clients about why they didn't move forward in the proposal section because we need some outside uh, validation because the marketing team thinks we should do this. The sales team thinks we should do this. I, as CEO, think we should do that. Let's go see what our customers actually think and why they didn't maneuver through that stage. And so we've started getting to a place where we allow the customers, for lack of a better way, to vote with their dollars. And that's what we prioritize as an organization. Um, I I do really believe, though, in two fundamental things that people – uh, don't often do in an organization. And, and I'm bad at it because I've always been a very strong independent um, worker, which is how do you, how do you enact change in an organization um, that sticks? Um, and so that's very difficult. And that has a lot to do with writing good proposals 
and taking the time to communicate the why of a change, um, not just what the change should be. So as people like us who all are probably talented in our career fields, um, it's easy just to say, okay, here's a solution. Uh, let's go implement that. Uh, go get it, team. And then you're like, why isn't this getting implemented? And what I learned is you're not really going to get uh, things implemented without them actually understanding the why because they don't have the same experiences. Mm -hmm. Even your leadership team that's been in this business as long as you have, they don't have the same brain you have. And so you need to work really hard in communicating the why and focusing on why would this be good for. And so the habit I recommend there is write out why you think the change is needed. Like um, I just wrote one for a new function at GoNimbly. I think we need a data scientist on the team. Here's why I think it would be beneficial. And then list like roles in a book. Why is this valuable for your product team? Why is this valuable for this person? Why is it valuable for this role? Why is it valuable for that? And sometimes you'll find maybe it's only valuable for two roles and that's still enough. But sometimes you'll realize, oh, this is why everyone's not excited about this thing is because it's only valuable to the executive team as an example. Um, and of course, when I say it's really important that we get around this initiative, the consultants go, yeah, 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 but it doesn't value them. So they just go and do their work and forget about it. Um, so that's a, that's something that I really value in goal setting and then using some kind, and I don't care what you use, but using some kind of language around communicating those goals. So if you use smart or whatever you use, it doesn't actually matter. It just matters that everyone's well-versed in it enough so that everyone can try to write the goals the same way. Um, and then I also believe heavily in, um, having people do visions for themselves, but I don't, I'm not a big believer that everyone in the company should have a goal. I actually think that the company should come out with goals and then ask people, can you make sure that your day-to-day -day work aligns to these goals and that you can live up to them? And then that ultimately as an individual, you are living up to your own vision for yourself. Mm. So, you know, I lead vision exercises with my team where they write, you know, in a year I want to do this. And those visions have to be realistic, but also uh, aspirational so that they can push themselves and so they can see themselves growing uh, towards their own visions. And then the company has a vision for 2025 that we share and talk about often, which is like, how does our daily work contribute to vision 25? And so those are the things that we found that really work. We tried all sorts of things, but those are the ones that really work. So with that, because I mean, that's interesting to me as far as since you are kind of a flat organization, how, how does like performance reviews and things like that take place? And are you doing all those then or? No, I mean, so I think of everything as a machine. So there's a head of the machine. Um, and the head of the machine will do uh, reviews about how well their machine are working, which involves people. Um, and we do have heads of teams who are managers. So there is someone that's the head of services, mm -hmm. a, a couple people that are, uh, you know, in the service uh, hierarchy. Um, and then there are a head of marketing and there's a CRO. So there are roles of manager. Again, the flatter organization believes only put management in when necessary. Mm -hmm. And that usually means when you create a new machine and you need to hold that machine accountable to some output. Mm -hmm. So I'll often take someone from the services team and say, why don't you go run on this idea and not put any managers in there? And my rule is I won't put structure around it until it's generating a million dollars of revenue. Once it's generating a million dollars of revenue, then you need to protect that and, and, and put in a little bit of management structure around that. I'm sure as we grow, a million dollars will no longer be the mark. Maybe it will be two or $3 million to have these um, pods run. And I learned this from Patrick Condon, who was the ex-CEO of Rackspace. And he walked by my desk one day. I was just a, you know, a snotty nosed kid working in the, the tech support department. And he liked a band, a t-shirt, a band, I, a band I had on my t-shirt. 
And he's like, hey, walk with me. And what's your name? He was talking to me. And I was like, this is weird. This is like the previous CEO who now works on innovation. He was like, yeah, what, what do you think about this? And I was just telling him about things. And then he pulled me into a room. He's like, hey, would you like to come to work for this innovation tank thing that we're doing here at Rackspace? And it's called the redundant server cluster. And that turned out to be the cloud. So uh, Salesforce was their part or was their customer. So very early on, I was working with Salesforce in this thing called the redundant server cluster because some guy liked my T-shirt, um, which was really, really you know, weird and opportunistic. But then while I was there, he, he basically, you know, schooled me in um, being intentional and, and pursuing things. And so that's where I learned a lot of these philosophies. And obviously I continue to read. But, you know, I think that a lot of people don't understand that the key to growth is intentionality. Uh, and the key to habitual, uh, habitualizing anything is working on it. Um, it's not about succeeding. Um, and I, and I think that once you realize that your life is actually more of a series of failures, um, the better you can be at respecting when things go right. Yeah. Uh, when you have success. Uh, And I think that's a lesson that a lots of entrepreneurs need to learn. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that cliche saying life is about the journey, not the destination. But I, I feel like when you do figure that out, like life's so much more enjoyable, right? Like when you can kind of be present, live in the moment and, enjoy that process and of learning or that process of growing where it may be difficult, you start to have more joy and more peace and like more excitement for life opposed to, you know, as a young man, you'd set a goal or, or want something and then you'd get that and then you wouldn't be happy anymore. And you'd be like, oh, now I need to find something new to cling on to, you know, but then you would always be dissatisfied every time you achieve that goal. There was nothing left to Google or research and there's nothing, you know, left to satisfy. So you have to find a new thing to hang your hat on. But as soon as you become tent in that process and knowing that like each day that you wake up and, and do your best, like you, you find more joy and, and, and fulfillment in life, you know? So. Yeah. One thing that I was listening to, I was listening to one of your guys' episodes when you were talking about, um, how you get people's feedback to improve your organization. This is something that we do. We use a, a tool called Culture Squads. So there are systems in our company, which are systems or documented processes that if you follow them, even if you're brand new off the street, you'll get good results uh, at least 51% of the time. It's a recipe, follow it, don't deviate from it. And then everything else that we haven't mastered yet, which is there's a ton of that because we're in a new space that we're helping to find, is, a, a, is cultural. And all it really is is a series of best practices. And everybody in our, my organization, because they're all consultants, want to rush to saying, this is the way we should do it. And I go, well, how do you know that way is going to get the best result? And they go, oh, I don't. I just want to put rules in place because it's what I've been trained yeah. to do. So what we actually did is we created culture squads who meet on cultural issues and sort of set out documents and, and train people on the best practices of something that hasn't been systematized yet. How do you deal with that on, on your guys' end? How do you deal with the difference between things that you know work and the things that you're still experimenting with? And, and get people's involvement? That's a great question. <clears throat> um, I think that we don't necessarily distinguish between the two states of like guaranteed this works. And I think it's always in question whether it's going to work or not. You know what I mean? So one thing we do, and this is actually what the Friday Habit system is about, um, the name, the Friday Habit, basically we do like a weekly review. Everybody kind of documents anything that comes up that week that was a problem or an idea for improvement. And then we discuss it as a team. You know, basically each team member brings up the things that happened or that they have an idea for improving. And we have our systems documented in simple checklists for the most part that kind of, and we always, whenever we have a new change, we want to make in the organization about a process of 
course, we decide, okay, what what's going to trigger this change? What's going to make us remember that we made this decision? And then we update that checklist or whatever. But I don't think we have a distinction between what is set in stone and what is kind of like, oh, we're testing this out. It's just more like if it keeps breaking, we're going to keep working on it. And if it doesn't break anymore, it won't come up. I guess that's kind of the way we do it. Yeah, What as far as... Um you know, your systems and processes and things like that. How, how did you, you know, go from being kind of you and you kind of said earlier that you set that goal of, Hey, if, if within a year I'm still, you know, in the trenches doing this, then I have a consultancy, not a business. Um, you know, at what point did you start hitting a a particular growth point to where you had, a lot of systems in place. I mean, I know like a lot of young entrepreneurs and people coming up, it's kind of run and gun and you kind of just take things as they come. And, you know, what have, what have you found as something that was successful in your own life and, and career to help you kind of set those systems and processes in place and then continue to grow and move forward and expand and, and, uh, you know, kind of increase your, your area. Yeah. Uh, well, Here's something that I think that most entrepreneurs don't do, which is my goal was to work on my business, right? And my goal wasn't to service customers. That was a, um, that was a byproduct of being young and not having the resources. But if I had had a million dollars of, of money, I would never have touched customers, right? Because my goal was to build a business. Mm-hmm. And not because I don't love customers. I love customers. Uh, and I spend time with them and I, I love talking with them and, and making sure that the services are up to par. But I made it my job as CEO to work on the business, to work on the strategies, to work on the processes internally that were going to get us to the next level so that my team could focus on delivering the product. Um, and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs early on lose sight of that. They get involved in their product too much and they don't work on their business. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, one of your guys' uh, recommendations is take half a day, take a day a week to work on your business. I would say my advice is take one or two days a, w- a week to work on your product, spend the rest of the time inside your business because you will transform your business holistically because you will understand your business backwards and forwards. You will understand, you know, the market functions that are at play. You will, un- you can give yourself uh, an MBA in your own business if you just spend the time on it. And once you have that MBA on your own business, nothing can really shock you. Like nothing that we've experienced as an organization, growth or otherwise, has shocked Mm. me because Mm. I'm always ahead of it because I'm always focused on working on the business. I'm always focused on, okay, where are we? What is this risk? What's that risk going to take? I'm very, very much a risk taker. I I believe fully that GoNimbly will fail or be successful on its vision and mission. Mm. And I'll pursue that until we're bankrupt or I'll pursue that until we're wildly successful. And everyone that's gone into business with me knows that, right? Knows that I can always start a million businesses. So I'm going to take this idea all the way to the end. And if it turns out that the big bet in this marketplace wasn't true, then we're going to write it to the very end. You won't see me pivoting from the mission. You'll see tactics change if those aren't correct, but you won't see the the mission pivoting. Um, And that only came through confidence of really working inside the business, really understanding like, oh, wow, we're going 100% year over year. That's not common for consultancy. These are more in line with software. Oh, customers are coming for, to us because we have this um, uh, experience in this field that's very hard to get experience in working with SaaS you know, tech companies. 
and they trust us, they're just so eager to work with us. They'll buy with whatever we have. It's not that our product is the most like compelling thing. It's just they want to work with those people. And if I had a piece of software to sell them, they would buy that too, right? It's just mm-hmm. acknowledging these things that you don't get when you're actually working in the day-to-day of the business. And so getting yourself yeah. to that position as fast mm-hmm. as possible is What is do you think best. are some great ways to do that? Because I know, you know, a lot of times you know, like I know for my business, right? A lot of it's built on my own personal brand, you know, where it's like clients come to us or we get referrals because of, oh, Mark Laviola, you know? And so I think the biggest thing that I've been trying to deal with or I've struggled with is that, you know, how do I grow outside of myself? You know, how, if, if it's like, oh, we want Mark to be on this project or we, you know, we want his creative ideas or, or, you know, his voice to be spoken into this thing. It's like, how do I kind of remove myself? Because right now we're still at this growth period where, or space where everything really is coming through my own personal network. You know, it's like connection of a connection of a connection. And it's not, I want to say go nimbly is too, like not going through our networks anymore, but referrals. Mm -hmm. We do outbound. I do these podcasts. Our product is roughly 350 to $400,000 a year. So you know, a, a single podcast is not going to usually generate someone that wants to come write a check for $400,000. Yeah. Right. So, um, I do this because I actually think what we're doing and how we're doing it is going to be a value differentiator for any organization. And it will be the default way that marketing and sales and customer success teams run in the future. And, 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 and you know, I think it's, especially during the age of ending, ending of COVID quote, uh, people are going to want to make up something. I think this is a valuable way to make up revenue you lost. So that's why I'm doing these podcasts and why I, I believe in doing it. I don't, I don't do it for the leads to go nimbly. I don't right. think that really works in, in, because our product is so expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, uh, you know, when I'm working through these th- kind of thoughts that, that you just mentioned, I, you know, I am a very big believer and you guys seem to be in, in retrospectives and, and things like that. And one of the things that I did very early on is write down my principles, write down how my brain works, try to communicate that. This is something that's still an ongoing process. Uh, explain, you know, how I get to where I get. And then also know that um, it's natural for customers to want to work with you, but you are not a business until customers trust your mm-hmm. methods. And I would probably start to diversify my brand away from me as an individual and into my methods so that uh, they could feel supported, right? Um, that being said, you know, there's tons of independent consultants who make a, a lot more money than I probably even make um, just being the source, the re, you know, the resource. It, it, I don't like that the word entrepreneur means everything. It means the person that's doing one, you know, in a one person job, or it means the person that's running, you know, a 3000 person company. Um, I think we're all risk takers. I think we're all uh, maybe all entrepreneurs, but there's a difference between building a business, in my opinion, and marketing yourself and marketing your own brand and making as much money as you possibly can off your own brand. I think that understanding that early on should inform every decision you make. So are you building a business and a company or are you building you know, Mark's brand and you want to maximize that. And you may need people to help you mm-hmm. do that. But ultimately you want to be in the business of making $3,000 an hour. Right. Um, and I think that just deciding that and then letting decisions go, like for me, I had to understand that I had to put uh, rates below my talent level for my people I had on my staff, which means that I had to convince people on my team to take less paying jobs uh, essentially within the organization 
to grow a product that was accessible to more people. Um, and then as we brought in lower cost resources because we made that decision, um, because the customer's expectations were not as high when you, when you were charging them $150 an hour versus $300 or $400 an hour, um, we were able to build a company, mm. right? But that was very clear because I wanted to build a company. Right. I wanted to build Go Nimbly. I didn't want to build Jason Reichel's methodologies. I didn't want to build you know any of my other co-founders. I didn't want to build their methodologies. I wanted to build a company. Um, yeah. It's hard now though because like now I'm in the process of creating my own brand externally, yeah. where you know I can imagine that would have helped out a lot in the very early stages. But I think also that would have been a pitfall mm -hmm. because yeah. people would have want to work with Jason. Now I have people coming in going, "Hey, can I get Jason to come?" You know someone like Coca-Cola or NASDAQ emails and is like, Hey Jason, can you come do a, a speech about intentionality and revenue operations for us? And it's like, I would love to do that, but I'm not really in the position to do that. You know? And, right. and I mm -hmm. have to be like, no, I can't do that. Um, you know, here's some resources that I've created that might help you. Um, yeah. so I think that it's a double-edged sword and I don't think there's a clear answer. I'm sorry. I'm no, going all over the place with this question, no, but, but ultimately I feel like making those decisions early on can help a lot. Yeah. I, I totally agree because so I did freelance for years under my own name. And then I finally started to start my own business under knapsack from the beginning. I was like, I want this to be its own brand. I don't want it to be tied to me, but I wish I would have known a little earlier on about how to systemize a business, you know, and, and kind of some of the keys to how, I mean, a lot of it comes down to a lot of creatives, I think are kind of perfectionist or not great at delegation, those types of things. So it took me a long time to try to learn through some of that stuff. And now I'm like, my, my team pretty much runs itself. I mean, I'm taking this week off to build a treehouse with my kids. And I came in for one thing to record a podcast. And I'm like, everything else is running on its own. It's amazing, right? And I, I love that feeling. Um, and m one of my goals is to kind of create these small creative companies that run themselves. I don't plan to be totally detached from them, but I would like to be able to take these little concepts, you know, like currently this one is we build Squarespace websites in one day live collaboratively with clients. You know, we have a methodology around that. We love doing it. But like I want to apply that to maybe a video company or, you know, whatever it might be, like what are some new little things to spin off? But I, looking back, I totally agree. I think that just if I had thought more, like I, I think about now when I start a new company, if I, from the beginning, like your mindset was of, you know, if, uh, if I'm working in the business, you know, for a customer within a year, then I'm, I did not create a business. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, mean, I don't mean that to be flipping because yeah, exactly. It's not, it's, it depends on how you define a business and all that kind of stuff, of course. But, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like, to me, I agree. That's, that's more what I want is I want to, a, create a machine or a, like a living organism that kind of exists in the world and solves a problem on its own without me feeding it all the time. Yeah, totally. I, I, I totally agree with that. When I first started Go Nimbly, I originally had the idea of like a 12 person think tank that was doing innovation work in the space that we're in. And it was only through market demand that said like, oh, this is not going to be a 12 person company. This is going to be a much bigger company, right? That was us being opportunistic, but we never had to give up our vision of being a company mm -hmm. because well, the vision, original vision was very small and to have the only hurdle that, that produced to be opportunistic was the one I said where I was paying a lot of people what their market rate was. And as demand went up, I was like, I can't keep hiring these kind of people. That just doesn't work. It works when you're a think tank and people are paying you for your innovation. Doesn't work when the when a uh, market is heating up to the point of people wanting it, even if they don't want the innovation. Um, and so we had to pit, you know, for lack of a better word, pivot in the strategy there slightly, but it was still about building a company, which just became a different company, like a different tactical company. Um, mm -hmm. So those are, those are things that you will face. Uh, 
I think anyone can learn to run a business as long as they're willing to be retrospective and mm. look at what's working and what's not working for them. Yeah, that's really good. That makes sense. Some people say, you know, entrepreneur is something you're born with. I don't actually believe that. I just believe it's uh, a tolerance for the unknown yes. is what you have to, I, <laughs> to, to sort of that, be that's born what, with. That's what I say. I always, I always tell people, I think what separated me from the herd so far is this my ability to manage stress and push through difficult times because I've seen a lot of guys come and go because they just can't handle the pressure. I'm like, if you can get thrown in the pressure cooker and come out, like you can continue to move forward and grow, you know? So what is this uh, hashtag no silos? And uh, what what does that mean? And and it's interesting because one of our biggest pain points that we interact with with all of our uh, with a lot of our corporate clients is that there's so many of these silos, right? Of people working on something or doing something, and then we come to the table and it's like, oh well, Denise and in, in this department was actually working with somebody on that. It's like, oh really? Like, don't you guys talk to each other? So what is what is what is this hashtag silo no more and how do you break down silos and organizations? Sure. So uh, Phil Enzer is a guy who used to work for Goodyear Tire. He's the person who coined silo syndrome uh, in the 80s. And his job was to drive around to all like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember when you were a kid. Goodyear Tires was like on every oh, yeah. town had one. Yeah. It was huge. And it had grown to a point where the corporation was like, oh, people are no longer going to us because we can't deliver this consistent experience. We built this infrastructure but the stores run very differently and so they hired this guy to go around and try to make all these shops work the same take what processes were working in idaho and bringing them to california so on and sort of streamline the organization and he failed miserably and he was driving through iowa and he looked out the window and he saw a grain of silo and he's like oh this is what each of those stores are like they're their own little independent islands and so he went to do some research he spent his entire life just basically defining the problem space he passed away a couple of years ago, so he didn't really get to see where I think we are, which is solving the problem space now. Um, but the problem space was in an organization with high degrees of change. Um, so like in the case of Goodyear Tires, they were growing very rapidly. People will silo because they need to protect their own little piece of land because the ground is moving underneath them. Uh, degrees of specialization. So, you know, when you're in one climate and another climate at Goodyear Tires, you would think that you're just replacing tires, but you're not because there's all this specialized knowledge that's required based on the locations you live in. The the sort of uh, incentive models. So, you know, they were not all incentivized the same way. And then ultimately, um, the sort of uh, language that they use around talking to each other. So people would like, and this is really true in developers. If you ever talk to a developer or a designer, which all of us, I think I have a background in some level of design, we can, we could talk in a way that would alienate our customer so that the only thing they could do is stop mm -hmm. talking to us. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the goal is to not do that. Um, and so, so, you know, people would start talking about, you know, well, what about this thing and this tire and this car thing and this rubber and da da da. And then suddenly you're like, okay, yeah. well, I can't handle this conversation. Yeah. I can't. So those are the silos that people do to protect their job. And they do that because they don't know how to align to something broader. So it's totally 100% natural. Everyone does this. This is why when someone, uh, even if you know that something's true about your friend and someone says something about them that's true, uh, and you're like, if they call them like, oh, you're, you know, Don is selfish. And you're like, yeah, Don is selfish, but don't call my friend selfish. It's like a protective mm -hmm. mindset, right, that, you, that yeah. you move into. So that's true in organizations. And so these silos get created because of necessity. In sales and marketing, common, they don't agree. They're, they have these handoff points, but they're not really aligned. And that really comes from the fact that all these organizations were their own little independent islands for a long time. And then we suddenly slam them all together in the age of the internet. 
and said, oh, marketing and sales and customer success, you have to work together. And all of them have no idea how to do that. So that's the silos. And so what they do is they put their little hand through the bars and try to shake each other's hands um, and do handoffs instead of actually being aligned to missions. And because most entrepreneurs are brought up through our standard system, they don't ever think about questioning those handoffs at all. And so what you end up doing as CEO is reinforce those silos. Um, and reinforcing those silos hurts organizations from being innovative. Um, and it hurts organizations from maximizing based on their customer. Instead, what you end up having is a CEO who has a, a head of sales and head of marketing in their office who are fighting with each other about agreement of what leads to qualified sales stuff looks like. And those kind of arguments don't benefit the customer because the customer doesn't care if they're a lead or an opportunity okay. or a whatever. They want their pain solved. And so if you find yourself in a lot of positions of that as a CEO or in a business where you're constantly needing to defend your work and not thinking outside of yourself, you are definitely an organization with silo, uh, silo syndrome. And most tech companies, because of how fast they grow, naturally become silos. It just is a thing that happens. And, uh, it's why I chose to focus this methodology in this space. Um, because, you know, you talk to any CEO who's run a tech company, they'll tell you, oh, I remember the good old days when we all wore multiple hats and everyone was aligned to the mission of the company. And it's like, yeah, that's because you didn't specialize. You didn't say your job is Salesforce administration. Your job is to do email campaigns. Your job, you said, no, we need to get emails out to people. We need to, you know, we need to make sure that our systems work. And then people stepped up and filled in those blanks. Um, and so that's a very different way of running an organization. Um, and ultimately it benefits the customer. So, so that's what it, what it is. And how you break it down is you just take away the things that are what we consider KPIs that are bullshit. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about, about momentum KPIs, which means if we follow these KPIs, they lead a path to additional revenue. I don't care about how many MQLs are, they have. I don't care about what scores they have. Unless you can tell me there's a correlation between if they have a score of 70 and above and if we close them then I don't care about that as CEO. And if, and if as an internal team, you need those things just because you feel like they're important, you hire a lot of people with experience outside the industry who want certain things, that's fine. But I don't care about talking about them because the entire uh, revenue team, their goal should be to increase revenue for the organization. And if I could give all of them a number to work against, I would, right? Um, and so that's where we're working towards is, is trying to unify those teams and give them one North Star metric and say, yeah, you can have these KPIs, but they need to actually be tied to closing business. Mm. Uh, on your product side, you have this already. This is why product teams are less siloed because they usually have growth as their primary driver or margin as their primary driver. And every decision they make is, if we implemented this feature, are we going to actually grow our user base or are we going to be able to improve margin for our product? Those, that's how internally a tech company talks um, on the product side. It's not how they talk on their, their revenue side. Um, and I think that's just because I don't think engineers have tech companies that are led by engineers don't have the experience leading marketing right. and sales teams to operate them the same way as mm -hmm. they do their product teams. Yeah. So a lot of it sounds like it's almost like parts of it are that everybody kind of has their own lingo and own priorities and their language is built around what matters to that silo, I guess, almost. It, it kind of reminds me, I mean, this is, this is, I think, an example of a very simple goal. I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and somebody said they were hired at Facebook and like their first day they were told, all right, this is how many hours per uh, year 
people spend on Facebook. Your job as an engineer is to make this number go up. And I was like, oh, like that's a pretty clear, <laughs> like that aligns everybody. You know what I mean? I don't you know whether you agree with that or not, but I feel like that's like a, a very clear goal that would align people. You know what I mean? It's like one simple number. That's a great example of a KPI that's momentum based that you could rally a small group around that would ultimately lead to, you know, whatever Mark's broader thing is, which is, you know, he wants to have Facebook in the hands of every right. single person in the world. Yeah. Right. Which is if we you know, get people on the platform more and they spend more time on our products of uh, Facebook, they're likely to interact right. with others and bring people into the fold. Maybe that's the strategy yeah. that they went with. Um, but I do think that those momentum KPIs do clarify for the day to day work. Uh, and then the broader one is sort of what you should talk about at the executive level. Jason, dude. Thank you so much for coming on the Friday habit and, and uh, participating and just letting us talk with you, pick your brain and just you know sharing some of your knowledge that you've gained over these past few years. We'd like to do a recap slash takeaway as well as an action item that we leave everybody with. Ben, go ahead and give us your top five. I know there was probably a ton of takeaways There's in this so conversation. Many. Do I have to do just yeah. five? All right, I'll do my yeah. best. I'll yeah, do, my best. do top five right. takeaways and you can get the rest of these uh, takeaways on the show notes. All right. Being good at the business side of things can offset a lack of creativity. I thought that was really helpful. Understand when it's a reverberation of a previous decision, basically understanding, you know, and along with that, I'm going to sneak another one in here. What's the shadow side of your decision? Basically counting the cost ahead of time. So when those things come up, you can be like, hey, this is kind of what we were counting on. This means that what we're doing is working and that this is what we expected to happen. Wow, so much better than how I put Ben. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, let's see. Use some type of language or standardization for setting goals. I thought that was really good, like SMART goals or something else so you all have the same language around it, same way all the goals are organized. And you are not a business until your customer trusts your methods. And you don't have to be born an entrepreneur. Anyone can run a business as long as you're willing to be retrospective. Hmm. Fantastic. All right. So we like to give everybody an action item each week. So what do you think will be would be a great action item that someone could kind of take as a young entrepreneur, somebody who's coming up or trying to grow their business? What is one thing that they could do in order to uh, you know move things forward? I think what I would recommend anyone to do is sit down with a piece of paper and think and write out your vision for yourself one year from where you are right now. And when you do that, you need to write it in a way that you can see, taste, and smell everything. And just write out what, you, what you're what you doing that day. What are you spending your time on? What does the interactions between you and whoever you're uh, interacting with? And if you're not comfortable or don't have that person named yet, just put their title in. You know, I want to talk to my head of services and we have this kind of conversation. And, and then what you need to do from there is it needs to be tangible. So you need to go... Are there clear ways that I can get here or is this a fantasy? If it's a fantasy, sit down and rewrite it and keep rewriting your vision until it's a tangible, actionable compass for yourself so that you can then align all of your daily tasks to that. Once you have that, the stress of the job goes away because you're going to run into problems, but problems are, again, the reward. I, I like what Ben said. It's 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 normal part of operating the business. Um, and so as long as you are viewing things that way and know that what as long as you're dealing with the problems in a way that helps you achieve your vision, I think you'll be a lot happier and a lot less stressed out. That's fantastic. Where can people connect with you if they want to follow you and, and uh, you know hear more about what you have to say and, and buy your book someday that you're working on that you're going to write? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you should go to Go Nimbly's blog if you are at all in the sales and marketing space. We have wonderful resources on how to break down silos, activities, things you can do. 
uh, it's the blog is written for everyone that we don't basically can't service um, because of the price of our services. Um, but what the good news is, is if you implement these things early on, you'll never have to afford a company like GoNimbly to come in and help you. So go read and, and do it yourself. Uh, I always tell people that all of our customers could have saved a million dollars had they implemented this from the very beginning. Um, and then this other thing, if people have questions about what we do and, and the methods I use, you know, I give my phone number on this. I get a lot of texts from people. I try to answer all of them. I do my best on that. And so text me. My phone number is 415-669-0546. And I will answer the questions as they come in. And, and I really care about thinking and, and making organizations more successful. That's great. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com to find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that'll show you how to set aside one full day each week to dedicate working on your business instead of working in your business. And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have a question or a topic you want us to cover, don't forget to record us a quick voice memo and email it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. And until next time, live every day like it's Friday. It's Friday.